the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous Saturday. Thank you so much, as usual, for being with us. And uh, we pray that you have been blessed by this ministry. Uh, I am pleased to tell you that I just signed another contract with the station and we are going to have another season. So this will be our season number four. Of course, this would not be, uh, wouldn't have been possible if you didn't step in to help with the cost. Um, as a missionary, I certainly cannot afford to do this, but certainly your faithfulness have enabled us to be able to work with this fabulous station to allow this um, uh, program on the air. And uh, I praise God for the station and for their willingness to always make sure that the Word of God is preached. And therefore, we thank them for their uh, willingness to work with us, as always. Now, having said that, um, today I'm going to do one more of those Facebook updates uh, because I'm getting a lot of positive feedback on those. And it serves multiple purposes. One of it is... It just allows you to know what's going on in my ministry and especially the social uh, media side of it. And number two, it kind of helps sometimes explain the logic behind why I posted something and what was the interest behind it and what was the deeper thought that I was trying to extrapolate out of it. And at the same time, just to give you an idea about what exactly is going on in terms of interactions, in terms of those kind of posts. So um, as always, You can access our Facebook by going directly to Facebook, and you can access it from two different ways. One, you can go to my own uh, personal page, which is alfadi.sira, and it's Al, A-L-Fadi, F-A-D-I, one word, no space, alfadi.sira, C-I-R-A, it's C as in Charlie. You can go there in Facebook, and that's technically what they call the personal page. And by the way, I'm pleased to tell you we almost uh, we hit 5,000 and now we kind of scaled back a little bit because I have to unfriend some of the inactive people to allow room for those who are waiting. We have a waiting list. Technically, a lot of people would like to befriend us. So thank you again for making uh, this page popular. You can also go to the ministry page under that, which is Sira International. One word without space. Sira, C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International. And once you go there, you begin to get exposure to the many weekly videos that we post and in terms of the ministry side. So if you go to Sierra International, you'll see videos posted. You are going to see uh, the podcast for Let Us Reason being posted. You're going to see my video with uh, David Wood. Uh, We've done a number of uh, videos together uh, going through a series right now. Pray for even future cooperations together. And then if you go to my personal page, you're going to come across those 
uh, every couple of days I have a post that is intentional. The majority of these posts are titled The Islamic Dilemma. And I usually talk about a particular topic that is challenging to Muslims. My intent really is not to attack Muslims. My intent is to just expose fallacies in the teaching of Islam and also help the Muslims realize that what they say oftentimes is not supported by their own expressions. So what Muslims basically say, they're not, it's not supported by their own sources, I should say. Their own sources, the Quran or the Hadith or their own scholars, especially earlier ones, like about 1,200 years ago or uh, 1,100 years ago and after, they don't have the same views. They don't hold to the same views that Muslims today try to convince us that that was going on back then. But before I do this, if you go to my personal page, which is alfadi.sira, you're going to notice one of the uh, faithful followers. Uh, he posted something about Bart Ehrman. Now, if you don't know anything about Bart Ehrman, Bart Ehrman obviously is uh, someone, you know, at least uh, he, he technically um, uh, thought that he was a confessed Christian, technically speaking. Now, really the way he attacks the Bible and talks about the Bible, he's no more than just a person who is maybe agnostic. Uh, maybe he is someone who lost hope or faith for whatever reason. We are sad for that. But at the same time, he is a, a reputable scholar that we have sometimes to uh, uh, just read what he's saying and uh, at the same time uh, read what others are saying to refute uh, some of his arguments. Um, Muslims love to quote Bart Ehrman as if he represents Christianity when he doesn't, as if he's the voice for born-again believers when he's not, as if he's the authority on the scripture, he's not, okay? So the reason why they also like him is they assume he's actually destroying uh, Christianity by the stance he's taken. When in fact, he probably will tell you, I really am not doing it because I'm destroying anyone or attacking anyone. These are my views and I'm just expressing them. But let me share with you what are his views about Islam. You know, in there, if you go to my personal page, you're going to see an image of Bart Ehrman and a number of quotations from him. So a Muslim reader on Bart Ehrman's blog, it's uh, the Muslim will say this. He's asking Bart Ehrman a question. You confirmed like 99% of Islamic belief about Jesus without even resorting to the Quran. Okay? So the Muslim is saying, everything you say about Jesus, you deny his deity, his divinity, this or that about him. You've already confirmed 99% of what the Quran anyway teaches. So now Bart Ehrman is replying. This is what he's saying. I do not think that the Quran has any particular insights about the historical Jesus that are to be taken as independent reports by historical scholars. Neither does any other historical scholar that I know or anyone who works seriously on the historical Jesus. Ouch, that hurts, really. And then he proceeded to say, and I doubt very much that my views coincide with 99% of Islamic belief about Jesus. For one thing, I am convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was physical, physically crucified and died on the cross. That is rock bottom certain in my books. And it stands completely odds with standard Islamic beliefs. This is Bart Ehrman, by the way, 
in his own blog known as ermanblog.org. So what the Bart Ehrman is telling this Muslim reader who thought that Bart Ehrman is actually supporting Islamic theology and doctrines in denying the crucifixion of Jesus, as the Quran falsely claims in chapter 4, verse 157, he thought just by the way that Bart Ehrman expresses his view about Christianity or sometimes about Jesus, that mean Bart Ehrman actually is denying the historiosity of the crucifixion of Christ. And Bart Ehrman here responded and said, in an honest way, no, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, I doubt any historical scholar can even deny that Jesus physically was crucified and died on the cross. There you have it. So that's one of Muslims' favorite scholars refuting the Islamic intentions behind his own quotations. Okay, well, I just thought I would share this. Here's another thing. I basically, um, periodically, I get questions from Muslims who deny the crucifixion of Christ. And obviously, I invested, if you are, if you go to my website, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is Sira International, you're going to see that I have done a series about the crucifixion of Christ refuting what the Quran claimed that Jesus was never crucified according to chapter 4 verse 157. Literally, I use Islamic sources, especially earlier Islamic sources, to destroy this notion that Jesus wasn't crucified. And I would tell you that there is multiple evidence, even by non-Christians, to support the crucifixion of Christ. Non-Christians who have no vested interest whatsoever in Christ or Christianity, they were honest enough to write about the fact that Jesus was crucified. They got nothing to gain other than to be historically accurate. Okay, So periodically I post links to some of these evidence, ancient evidence for Jesus from non-Christian sources or other places. And all I get back as a refutation by Muslims is the smiley icons, okay, the emos, as if this is the way we refute things. Well, I'm sorry, that's not really professional refutation. You're going to have to do better than that. You're going to have to, technically speaking, give us intellectual argument, tell us why you think when plenty the, uh, uh, the uh, basically uh, mentioned that Jesus was crucified, okay? Uh, when so-and-so mentioned about Jesus that um, the crucifixion took place, that this is indeed actually a historical uh, source. So, you know, sometimes I wonder really if my Muslim friends are taking the time to think through these evidence. We have people like Tacitus, who says uh, Nero fastened the guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace, Christus, from whom the name had its origin, who suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate and a most mischief, uh, mischievous superstition Thus, checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, 
So he's talking from his perspective that these Christians who are named after Jesus Christ, who actually suffered an extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius, by who? Pontius Pilate. That's amazing, because you go to the Bible, to the gospel, and that's exactly what the Bible is, is talking about. In the book of Acts, many times Peter referred to this incident. So this is a guy who really has nothing to gain other than report historical things. Evidence from Pliny the Younger. Okay, here's what Pliny the Younger is another important source of evidence about Jesus and early Christianity can be found, of course, in the letters of Pliny the Younger to Emperor Trajan or Trajan. Okay, Pliny was the Roman governor of Bithynia, which is found basically in Asia Minor. In one of his letters dated around 112 AD, which means about, uh, technically speaking, maybe 70 to 80 years after the ascension of Christ, he asked uh, Trajan's advice about the appropriate way to conduct legal proceedings against those accused of being Christians. Okay, this is what he says in the letter. They were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day, which means Sunday, before it was light, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God. In other words, they're worshiping this guy, Christ, in his mind, he was just a human being, but they are worshiping him as if he's a God. Why is he saying this to the, uh, to the emperor? Because the Roman emperors thought of themselves to be lords and gods. He's saying, you know, this is my accusation against him, Mr. Emperor. They're actually competing with you and using this guy, Christ, to worship him and sing hymns to him. Then he proceeded to say, and bound themselves by a solemn oath, not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery. In other words, he's saying these guys are really ethical, actually. They don't do any crimes, okay? Never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food. That's the communion. But food of an ordinary and in an innocent kind. I mean, this is a guy who wasn't even a Christian, who was a governor, who was actually baffled by what these Christians are doing and asking the emperor to help him with advice. Uh, what charges should I lay on them then? You know, I mean, look, notice he said they're innocent people, basically, in the way they do things. They're really ethical in everything they he described but at the same time he just wants to know what kind of charges he is going to lay on them then you get the jewish uh, uh basically guy historian famous historian josephus who also said things like about this time there lived jesus a wise man and he's saying the time basically uh in a specific time frame that he's referring to in his writing He's saying he's a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. Notice, he's saying, you know, I'm not really so sure I can call him a man, actually. For he routes surprising feats. He was the Christ when Pilate condemned him to be crucified. Notice, crucified. Those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day, he appeared restored to life. And the tribe of Christians, he calls the group of Christians, tribe. 
Because he's baffled by all of them look the same. They act the same. They behave the same. They talk the same, even though they come from different backgrounds. Okay? Has not disappeared. Okay? So Christianity didn't disappear. Christ's teaching didn't disappear. The followers of Jesus did not deny him. And this is a Jewish guy who is saying this. A Jewish guy, by the way. Okay? So this is why we have to really examine those kind of non-biblical evidence. Here's another one. There's an evidence from the Babylonian Talmud. Okay? There are only a few clear references to Jesus in the Babylonian Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish rabbinical writings compiled between approximately 70 AD to 500 AD. Given basically this time frame, it is natural, basically supposed uh, that earlier references to Jesus are more likely to be historically reliable. Why? Because it's talking about Jesus right after his ascension and during the time of the early church, during the time of the apostles and eyewitness. Okay? And in the case of the Talmud, the earliest period of compilation occurred between 70 AD to 200 AD. The most significant reference to Jesus from this period states the following. On the eve of the Passover, Yeshu which is the Hebrew way of saying Yahweh is salvation. Uh, technically, this is his name, Jesus' name, Yeshu or Yeshua, okay, was hanged. That's the Jewish way of describing the crucifixion. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. The accusation laid against Jesus is apostasy, but the Jewish authority could not really stone him. So the way they did it is they went to Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor for the area where Jesus lived in Judea, who oversaw that region, and said, okay, well, this guy actually is committing an act of rebellious against the Roman emperor, so you're going to need to crucify him because that's the Roman punishment in lieu of us unable to stone him for apostasy. Okay, why apostasy? Because he is coming up in their view with something strange that they do not ascribe to and he's also blaspheming against God for calling himself to be God or equal to God. Okay, so this is what's going on. Here is another one. Evidence from Lucian. Lucian of uh, Samusera was a second century Greek satirist, okay? In one of his works, he wrote of the early Christians as follows. Notice what he says. The Christians worship a man to this day, okay? So he wrote in the second century, that would have been around 300 AD. Until this day, for 300 years, these groups that call themselves Christians, named after Christ, worship a man in his mind, in his view, Jesus is a man, okay? They worship a man to this day. The distinguished persona who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on the account, okay? It was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers. Jesus taught them that they are all one body. They are all one family. They are all brothers and sisters. From the moment that they are converted, meaning accepted Jesus, and deny the gods of Greece, and worship the crucified sage. He's describing Jesus as this righteous, godly man, and live after his laws for 300 years. 
people who are not Christians describing this phenomenon about the people who follow Christ. Let me give you another example. The Quran that was written 600 years after the time of Jesus acknowledged powerful things to be said about Jesus himself. For instance, I have a post that I called Why Muhammad um, uh, sorry, um, I, I have a post actually about Jesus in my Facebook under the Islamic Dilemma Christology in the Quran. I said, why Jesus is more exalted than Muhammad. And here is basically the argument that I said. I said in this post, whenever one compares the status of Jesus in the Quran to that of Muhammad, he or she are quickly left to realize that Jesus is much exalted than Muhammad. Do you know that Muhammad was mentioned by name only four times in the Quran? Yet Jesus was mentioned tens of times, okay? Um, if my account is uh, correct, it's about 25 or 26 times by name, and then almost 90 plus times by in different accounts, basically, different stories about him. His own birth narrative was mentioned also in the Quran. But I chose this particular powerful testimony from a historical book I call the Quran. This is what it says. In chapter 3 of the Quran, known, named after the family of Mary, known Al-Imran, the family of Imran, which is the family of Mary. That's what the Quran dedicated an entire chapter named after Mary. That's chapter 19. And an entire chapter, chapter 3, named after her family. Okay, if that tells you anything about how exalted Jesus, even in a book like the Quran. This is what it says. In this chapter, chapter 3, verse 55, Behold, Allah says, O Jesus, I will take thee and raise thee to myself and clear thee of those who blaspheme. I will make those who follow thee superior to those who reject faith until the day of resurrection. Did you catch what was going on here? So in my post, I summarize what's going on. Here is Allah himself is talking directly to Jesus and saying, Oh, Jesus, I myself, by the way, I'm going to raise you up to heaven. Okay. I myself, Jesus, going to clear your reputation from anyone who will accuse you of anything or any wrongdoing. Okay. Because Muslims, by the way, claim that Jesus's mission failed. That's why God raised him up. Hmm. The Quran doesn't support their argument, actually. And Allah is saying, I myself also is going to prove that your teaching is accurate and correct and powerful, that I'm going to make those who follow you superior to those who rejected you until the day of resurrection. What is the day of resurrection in Islamic theology? It's the day that God raises the dead to judge them. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not seeing dead people walking right now. They're still dead, okay? And we're not in a day of resurrection. So the Quran actually denies the accusations of Muslims. And this is the way I'm going to close because we are getting closer to the end time here of our uh, recording. Brothers and sisters, what baffles me the most, and I'm speaking to my Muslim friends right now, is that Muslims are so passionate in their objection about Jesus, so emotional to the point that their re, uh, their sense of reason and ability to reason is clocked completely and clouded. They say things that their own Quran actually doesn't support. And that's really the million-dollar question. 
What would you do, my friends, my Muslim friends, on the day of resurrection when God Almighty will remind you that Jesus came to die for you on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, that he was buried and rose again on the third day for the forgiveness of your sin according to scripture. And now I shared with you according to many evidence that are available. Brothers and sisters, there isn't any money in the world that you can spend that day to buy your life because unless you believe in Christ, you are separated from God for all of eternity in a place that Jesus described where there'll be gnashing of teeth and regrets. This is the chance. This is the day that you can call upon him. Otherwise, you have no control of your life whatsoever. That's my prayer. And that's my invitation to you to accept him as Lord and Savior. Thank you again for joining me. Until we meet again, may God bless you richly. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.